Engaging Conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News. Uh, Jalen and I taking a day off today. Uh, I'm, I'm not hosting alone, though. I'm joined by uh, Kelsey Wingarek, uh, better known as Winger. Kelsey, thanks so much for volunteering to sit in here with me. Oh, it's always just such a pleasure. I love that you lie like that. Uh, we've got a great uh, show lined up for you, some interesting uh, topics, and why wait? Let's start the first one. You heard earlier this week, of course, on 630 Shed and other news agencies uh, about the uh, incident down in Pickering, Ontario. A 14-year-old girl arriving at the Dunbarton High School Tuesday morning. She had two knives with her. She started attacking students in the hallway and staff. Nine people, including those uh, three teachers, sustained injuries at the school. Uh, now including the daughter of our next guest, Joanne Crane. She's a mother and freelance writer, editor down in Pickering. Hi, Joanne. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. Thank more, you. More that. importantly, how's uh, your daughter? Actually, it's my son. Son? Okay. Yeah, and he's, he's uh, managing pretty well. It was uh, back to school as usual yesterday, and we had a talk after after the day, and he said he was feeling better, uh, kind of getting back into the regular routines and back to class. All right. Now, people wondering, I'm sure, listening at home, uh, is this conversation uh, just about that particular incident? It, it is and it isn't. It's about a blog that you wrote regarding this, and uh, the title of the blog, uh, that my teen, uh, my teen school didn't have, or the stabbing at my teen school didn't have to happen. Uh, and I want to get to that. But first, would you indulge us, uh, perhaps, because this kind of incident we often describe as a parent's worst nightmare. We all pray that we never have to experience that phone call or text saying that something's happening at our child's school right, right. Uh, you know what so how did your day unfold when this started to happen can you walk us through that a little bit oh okay sure um yes uh, my husband had dropped my older son in high school um off a little bit early because he was going to prepare for some tests and i had gone to the grade school because we have another child and um the, the school start times are slightly staggered and different. So um, both uh, children were in school, and I was talking to some of the parents outside the grade school. We were letting our dogs play, and then suddenly one of the moms uh, said suddenly, she got a text and said, oh, my God, there's been um, a stabbing at Dunbarton High School, and I think I kind of screamed a little. Mm. Um, it, was, it was kind of a really visceral reaction, and pretty much immediately, my own phone started dinging, and I started getting really short messages um, from my teen in high school saying that there was a lockdown at school, that someone pulled a knife. And that was kind of all the information I was getting in, in little tiny bites, and that was kind of all I needed to know. I sort of, my initial reaction, I think, was the same as any parent might have. You know, I was shocked, I was frightened, I was scared. Um, I was kind of numb. I don't know if you've ever been in sort of a traumatic situation. You, you just kind of steel yourself against what might happen next. Yeah. And you don't really let yourself feel. Yes. So at that point, I, I wasn't uh, too far. So I jumped in my car with the dog, and we kind of headed over to the school. And I did, I was kind of expecting what I saw, but it was pretty surreal anyway. When you say expecting what you saw, I'm guessing a media circus already forming? 
That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, there were ambulances and police cars and some students who hadn't gotten into school because they were slightly late for the bell and some who had headed out of the door as soon as they'd heard there was a commotion. Um, some other parents like myself who had uh, just arrived or getting texts from their kids and people were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, the media were starting to form. The police were, you know, doing their thing. And, uh, yeah, it was... It was like something I've seen on the news, and and sort of standing as a bystander watching it was really surreal, and I felt kind of not in it, because Mm -hmm. I also, it it was really strange to feel that my child is also hunkered down in in a classroom somewhere at the same time. I'm sure you're frantically texting him at this point. Yes, and uh, by the time I got there... um, like the resolution had come fairly quickly i think as you'd heard you know the police were there within minutes and the teachers um and staff had actually tackled the um the girl to the ground um so i was getting these bits of pieces of information from other parents from the students that were outside and my son who was trying to text although uh, where he was we weren't getting really good service mm. so they were coming in a little bit delayed so i had understood there was a threat I didn't know who it was, but I knew that he was safely in a classroom with several teachers and a bunch of other students. Joanne, have you had the opportunity, did you speak to any of the parents whose children were actually attacked by this girl? No. No. I, I'm, I'm finding it interesting, uh, the more I'm reading, um, there were blogs, there were Facebook posts, there was so much out there that showed that this girl was in Uh, a lot of pain and she was obviously dealing with some pretty traumatic things herself. Um, I know you said you didn't want to speculate about the the suspect who has been taken into custody Um, but but as a parent what do you think of those warning signs? Are you going to look a little bit closer at what your sons are writing on their social media pages? Yeah, first of all you know, it was was, it's crazy and like everyone, you know, you have to wonder how much despair do you need to feel? How alone do you have to be to think that this is your only way of resolving this kind of loneliness? Those posts, they're heartbreaking. I mean, they they are only allegedly hers, right? Not to mm-hmm. speculate. They think that, that they're hers. You know, rumor has it. Um, but if they are true and to be believed, uh, she certainly left a trail that one would consider was uh, uh, hoping to be discovered. You know, let's talk about that for a second, because a couple of things. We've got a show here on 630 Chat on Saturdays called uh, The Announcers, and it's a, a sort of a free forum, a roundtable. And one of the topics uh, that you'll hear this weekend is about uh, Slack division or Slack. What did we call it? Slackivism. Slack. Yeah. And, and I was talking about uh, or I will be talking about in that show that, you know, sometimes we put on the pink shirt and say we're against bullying or we dump a bucket of water on our head and hope we cure a disease. And But do we do more than that? Uh, so let's let's start there. Uh, particularly bad timing, I guess, um, you know, that we have a, a, a day dedicated to anti-bullying um, and, and to discussing mental health and, and, and children. And this all happened the day before that. That's right. You know, is there some part of you that, as a parent who's now immersed in this kind of situation, thinks, well, those days are great, but, you know, those something has to change? Those days are great because they, they force a conversation that maybe people aren't having. Those, that, that girl's, uh, you know, 
notes on social media, they seemed to confirm that she had a desperation, and obviously nobody was listening. Right. So, I mean, I can't speak to her situation per se, but if children are, are, are out there and feeling that lonely and they're not talking to their parents, you know, uh, for example, I, I would say that teenagers are kind of like icebergs, you know? You only see that little bit that they leave exposed for you Isn't with so true? much of that darker stuff kind of hiding under the surface. Well, if you do sense trouble with what's going on, with what you can see with your teen, chances are there is actually, but you know, that is actually the tip of the iceberg, and it it may be time to take a much deeper look. Yeah, so, I, I don't think we can. You know, technology is is wonderful and and terrible at the same time because, for example, if I didn't have cell phones, I I would be going out of my mind trying to figure out what was going on with my my child in the school. Right? Yeah. Um, but I find that social media and instant messaging and technology, they do tend to insulate our children from us in many ways. And, you know, the dialogues that need to happen in families, they're not always happening. You know, and that brings me to the other part I wanted to talk to you about, and that's that when something like this happens, and people always want to answer the question, why? And then as we start looking into it and trying to find social media posts, blogs, the kind of things that you've mentioned just a second ago, it's almost natural to begin blaming uh, the parent of that child to say, well, how could you not know that that child was in about to do something like this when there's all these Facebook posts and there's these blogs and there's this and there's that? As a parent of, of a child who was in the school, do you feel somewhat responsible for not knowing that this was being posted or do you feel some responsibility falls on the shoulders of some of the children in the school for not knowing that these things were being posted i mean that's after all what your blog is about right that didn't have to happen it 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 i'm yeah it, my blog is is a parent's reaction to something um and as i sort of felt the pain of of my own situation i kind of started to my emotions shifted from the concern for my son and those who were attacked to, you know, thinking, uh, you know, a little empathy for this girl who had allegedly committed these crimes. Because, you know, the same fear and frustration and confusion I had perhaps were similar in some level to the confusion this girl may have been feeling in the days leading up to the event. And I didn't want, I didn't want a community to break down and point fingers at each other. I wanted us to maybe move forward from this event because if there's one child like this, there are probably others, right? So, you know, what can we do moving forward? So in the article that I wrote on the Huffington Post, I kind of wondered, you know, could we do more? What can we do to teach our children to be the kind of friend that they would want in their own corner? You know, like someone you could trust, someone you can tell your secrets to and, you know, complain about your parents together. You know, the kind of friends we used to have that would come over and hang out in our bedrooms and we would be honest with each other, you know? Yeah. The teens are connected online, but they may not have actually have anyone listening to them on the other end there. So that personal connection needs to be there and it needs to be within families and it needs to be within friendships and it needs to be within school environments and it needs to be within a community. And I just think that um, the purpose of, of what I had to say was to kind of get off my chest, this is, this is how we're feeling, but, but what can we do going forward? And can you be, can one person make a difference to somebody who's feeling that kind of pain? And, and what can we do to be that person?
Now, Joanne, I do want to talk about the school environment. I mean, as soon as the stabbing started, this obviously resonated with everybody in Canada. You know, you hear about these things, you picture either yourself in school if you don't have children, or if you have children, you just think, what if this happened to me? And we connect it with Lalosh, and thankfully there was no deaths um, in Pickering. But what mm-hmm. I what I am wondering is, at Lalosh, they, they were very reactionary. When it happened, the mayor wanted the, the school absolutely decimated, right? For, so they never had to walk down the hallways again and picture it. What I'm wondering mm. is, you know, PTSD for the students, what kind of messaging are they getting from their teachers, from administration, um, support counselors? Are, are they saying the things that you are, like, we need to be looking out for each other, we need to have each other's backs? Well, I certainly hope so. You'd have to talk to, you know, officials at the school um, and people who, who are in charge of that. I'm, I am personally, obviously, just speaking as a parent. Um, and I do want to say, truly, I am so grateful to the staff and the teachers at that school who did their job so well for following those lockdown procedures perfectly, for getting so many kids out of harm's way quickly. Oh, and going I mean, above it, and beyond, that teacher is a hero. He, you know, it's on the record that he actually had to tackle her. Yeah, I, I'm so thankful for that teacher and I think other su- support staff who, who helped uh, at personal risk and injury to themselves. You know, they saved others and they may even have helped save the suspect herself, too from further injury before those, you know, before the police arrived. So, I mean, and, and I don't want to compare it to the other situation at Lalosh because I, I don't know if it's different. I don't know enough about that case. But I think this instance was a kind of a clear cry for help. I think she wanted to be stopped. Uh, I don't think she had a vendetta against anybody personally. And, and I don't know about the Lalosh um, case, yeah. whether, you know, they were after certain people or not. And it certainly had a a uh, uh, fatal and, and traumatic and horrible ending. And you know, here, I think we we are able to be compassionate in this case, particularly because no one was more seriously injured. Right, right. Uh, Joanne, I want to circle back to something you said, because it was a real light bulb moment for me. You mentioned back in the day and uh, being at a friend's house and talking in the bedroom and um, you know, right. that's the, I think that was just a real light bulb moment for me, because I'm thinking now that our kids are so attached to social media that they feel as though perhaps posting something for the internet, uh, no one specifically, but just posting something for the world to see. Yeah, shout, shouting into the void, I call it. Exactly. And, 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 and I can imagine that on the one hand, putting it out there probably feels good to get it off their chest. But on the other hand, the lack of reaction to it or the fact that there's no personal contact, uh, no no return emotion from that, that That's that right. would further frustrate someone who was, who was shouting into the wind. That's right. Absolutely. There's, there's nothing like that human connection. And, you know, we do, I don't want to sound like an old fogey. Oh, my God, in my day, we all, all our friends used to come and hang out yeah. in the living room and we'd play records. Um, and I know that my children have friends that they connect with online, but I'm, I personally, as a parent, and I'm sure lots of other people do, make uh, an effort to try and have my children be with their friends, mm-hmm. out, you know, in other environments as much as possible. And sometimes they don't want to because they're happy playing the games online where they're all connected. Um, but there is nothing like having a laugh with a friend, having a friend that you know has your back. Yeah, you know you what, know? You're, you're, you're right, and I'm going to sound like the old fogey now, but the, the, taking the time to have dinner with your kids, uh, encouraging friends to uh, come on over and hang out in the basement, all those old values that we used to have, in the absence of those, 
we have these kinds of situations. And if nothing else from reading your blog, and, and if anyone else wants to read it, it's uh, Huffington Post, The Stabbing at My Teen School Didn't Have to Happen uh, by Joanne Crane. It's, um, if I got nothing else from this article, and I got a lot from it, from this blog, it would just be that, that I want my kids to be vigilant. I want them to come to me and tell me if they see something that they believe to be a warning sign and to take seriously something that they read on Facebook uh, rather than to just dismiss it as uh, the rantings of an angry girl or boy. Right. And even if they are the rantings of an, of an angry girl and boy, but, uh, you know, at least err on the fault of, yeah. of safety, right? Because, you know, it, it can be hard. It can be hard to tell the, diff- the difference between stereotypical teenage angst and real mental problems, right? For sure. It certainly can be hard to talk about that for parents. I mean, any well-adjusted 14 or 15-year-old is still going to have an extreme reactions and emotions. So, I mean, you can only imagine how hard it may be to tell if your child is going, if what, what he's going through is temporary and normal or, or yeah. a more serious condition. And we have to talk to our children and say, you know, would you say that your friends are behaving you know, a certain way? Or are you concerned for them? Well, you know what? It was a great read and, a, and a, an even better conversation, Joanne. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thank you so much, and uh, please pass on our uh, thoughts for everyone in Pickering. Thank you so much. It's so nice to have what we thought of as sort of an insular moment in our town to sort of be resonating across the country, and I hope that it opens conversations with all kinds of families and and hopefully friends in other communities. So thanks for having me. Thank you. This is the 630 Ched Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Ched, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Well, great conversation uh, with Joanne Crane, the mother of a student attending uh, Dunbarton High School down in Pickering. Um, And you know what? It's one thing, and I don't want to drop this just yet, and say, okay, that was a great conversation. Now let's move on to think about something else. Because I'm thinking about what we just agreed. We just agreed that we're going to be more vigilant. We just agreed that we're going to tell our children to be more vigilant. But, you know, social media aside, I'm not sure how much has changed since I was in high school. And I'm thinking now about someone I knew that committed suicide in high school. And I'm thinking back now in the absence of social media and just when we were relying on just noticing we didn't notice and for years I looked back on that and thought what should I have seen and I've actually had two friends over the years take their own lives and in in the first case there was nothing that I could have seen and I know that's not what we're talking about we weren't we were talking about uh, a stabbing in Pickering, but it, you know, no, but it's, it falls in the general category of yes, it's a byproduct of right. depression or mental exactly. Um, in the case of the second friend, um, I did see a remarkable change in behavior. I saw him begin to become a loner, um, and my parents were aware of that. My parents encouraged me to. Give him a call, see if he wants to come out. I did, he didn't. Um, and then one day he took his life. So I, 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 I mean, anything helps. 
everything helps. I mean, I, any I, effort. I know but, what you're saying. I yeah. had the same struggle. I mean, you saw I saw girls in high school who I could tell were either bulimic or, or struggling with anorexia or something, and you just don't know what to say to them. And mm-hmm. they weren't in my social group, so do I walk up and say, hey, you're looking a little skinny, you should eat a steak? Right. Like, that never crossed my mind. I just kept thinking it's none of my business. But I guess that's probably the goal is to educate your kids to make it your business Yeah. if it can mean saving a life. Or, I mean, would you pick up the phone and phone a parent and say, as one parent, would you phone another parent and say, you know, my son or my daughter says that your child is acting, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know how to do this. I, exactly. just, I don't know if teens think about it. I, when I heard about the stabbing, I pictured a girl who I grew up with all the way through elementary school. We were very good friends. She hit high school. I mean, all through elementary school, she was a, an only child. She was constantly changing her name. And that's what one of the reports mm, I read said. Yeah. She, she Trying to find her identity. She right. went by her middle name, a shortened name, made up name, whatever. And she always made the teachers call her by these different names. So eventually we all just wrote her off as a weirdo. We, You know, you don't sit down and think, this girl is like dramatically trying to seek her identity right. and is unhappy with who she is. I'm just thinking, why Why do you go by so many names, well, right? you know what? We don't have the answer, but uh, at least we've uh, once again started the conversation, and that's a positive step. We'll take a quick break for news. When we come back, we'll lighten it up a little for you. News when you need it. Fun when you want it. This is the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad. All right, welcome back to the program. Kelsey Wingarek, uh, fondly known as Winger, sitting in for uh, Jay Lynn and I this afternoon. We were talking in the uh, last half hour uh, about the student in Pickering, Ontario, that took a couple of knives to school, injured nine people, including three staff members. Our texting was a little sketchy during that uh, half hour. The texting is starting to work now. And before we move topics, I just wanted to read a couple of them, uh, some interesting uh some interesting perspectives. Uh, when approaching a person with mental illness of any sort, it's not important what you say. It's important that you listen. That's a great text. Um, another one, we are told the world is ours. You can attain anything you want, anything you desire through hard work and uh, perseverance. But in fact, the world is not yours and you do not matter in the grand scheme of things. This is too much for some people to bear. You know, that comes up when we talk about different, uh, often these events where, you know, parents build you up and tell you that you can be anything you want to be. You can, you know, just set your mind on it. You can make as much money as you want. You can go anywhere you want. And that that isn't the case. And I I guess some students, you know, you graduate from high school or you get to a certain part of your schooling and you're like, this isn't going the way I thought it was. And I, I set my mind to it. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny because the things and the perspective, of course, is different from a parent, from a parent's perspective to a child's perspective. Even though you went through those teen years and you remember them yourself, you remember that you came out the other end. You were just fine. A lot of what the kids are concerned about won't matter in the greater scheme of things. You'll find your place in the world. And I think there's part of us that wants to just play that down and just, you know, our child says, I'm worried about this or I don't know where I'm going and you say things like you'll figure it out don't worry about it and and back to that other text about listening um, I think maybe that's where I've erred personally perhaps rather than trying to solve the problem or dismiss the problem maybe I need to listen to the problem if for no other reason than to allow my child the opportunity to to say it out loud and yeah. to get it off their chest 
It's a, I, I tell I, you what, a learning experience working here. I can, I can think of like several very specific conversations where I had with my parents where they asked me a tough question. They probably weren't going to like the answer I had to give them, something I'd done or something mm-hmm. I'd said or something that had got me in trouble elsewhere. And I could see that process where they knew they couldn't punish me on the spot, throw, you know, start screaming, yelling, whatever, ground me, because it wouldn't make me shut down. Right. And so there's a lot of times where I think they fa- thought that they were winning by hearing whatever my misdemeanor was, and it was a better choice on their part not to punish me even though I shouldn't have been doing it. There you go. Uh, how about this text? Uh, I would like, uh, or I like the irony brought up by this parent, praising the staff for completely locking down uh, procedures, yet making the job more difficult by texting her son during it. And lockdown procedures are made more difficult when students are texting. It reduces the situational awareness, can give away location by screen light or noise, makes the difficult situation worse for those trying to maintain order and keep students safe. And I did text this person back, but I'll say out loud what I texted back. All of those are valid points, but if you're a parent whose child is locked down in a school and somebody has a weapon, it's natural to reach out and try and find out if your child's okay. I can't imagine... It's natural to put your phone aside and say, they need to go through with this lockdown. I'll find out later right. if my child's I, still alive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the one experience I have that's even remotely like this is a junior high school having a bomb threat, me hearing about it through a text from one of my children, and me doing exactly what this mother did. Now, it was a false alarm, but I bolted to that school. I dropped what I was doing, rushed to the school, and my thought on the way over was, I'll find the door that nobody's standing by and go in the school myself, I'll, which you know is completely contrary to what you should be doing. I just want... It's instinctive, I think, isn't it, of every parent? Oh, I, to... I think if a parent hears that their daughter was sexually assaulted, the first thought a father often has is, well, I'm going to go kill the guy. Yeah. Is that really the <laughs> yeah, best that's... decision? Well, of Cause course. Because now you're going to be in prison for the rest of your life. Exactly. Here's one for you. Winger should replace Andrew. Would make the show much better. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, hey, listen, uh, up on our Facebook page, I wanted to turn the topic to this. Uh, we've uh, posed a question. It's with regard to Councilman uh, Ben Henderson. And in a nutshell, here's the situation that there's and I'm going to say the words photo radar at some point during this conversation. So get ready to text and phone uh, the show if you want to contribute. You, you say like it's a bad thing. We actually want you to text. We and do. Call. We do. We do. <laughs> it's just a photo radar is one of those hot topics that, you know, you just say the word and people uh, get their backs up right away. Photo radar. Uh, basically, this is the story that. There's some areas of Edmonton, some roads in which there's a lot of uh, money raised through photo radar. There's speeding going on. Um, ben Henderson has asked the department responsible for signage, basically. He's pointed out to them that there isn't speed limit signs on it. And that his suggestion would be, why don't we just put up speed limit signs? Because ultimately what we want to do um, is, is stop people from speeding as opposed to playing into that stereotype that the city just wants to make a whole bunch of bucks uh, in the cash cow known as photo radar. And the city has, the department in question, has not done it. They've not put the signs up. And their rebuttal to that request is basically that, hey, well, if there's no signs, the speed limit's 50. And and I, I know that they're both coming, I think, they're both coming from a very honest place because those people who work in any any department of anything any, anybody who works with anything knows the rules and regulations with regard to their area of expertise and they 
assume that everyone else knows it as well. And that is the rule. Everyone knows that. A secondary highway, I believe it's 80 if it's not posted. A city street is 50 if it's not posted. Um, but you've got an area of the city where the city says it wants to stop speeding or stop speeders, and yet they haven't done the simple task of putting up a sign with what the speed limit is. And But we're agreeing that everyone knows that it's well, does everyone know 50. That? Well, I think everyone learns that in driver's training. That's where they just said, just so you know. Well, not to be skeptical, uh, but everybody knows how a turn signal works oh, as well. We're not going down this. We're not doing <laughs> well, this. It just, I, you know, it's, it seems like well, it's one thing to, and I know ignorance of the law is no excuse, and, and I realize that people will say, well, if you don't want to take it, don't speed. But if we, we can't keep finding these little arguments against photo radar, or, or we shouldn't keep finding these little arguments against photo radar if we want to accept, or if the city wants us to accept, that photo radar is not about raising money, but rather about reducing speeding. We can't keep finding these little arguments like, well, wait a minute, the vans are well uh, labeled. Everyone can see them. Yeah, the vans are well labeled, but it's hard to see that labeling when they're hiding in a bush. Um, <laughs> you know, the speed limit is 50 when not otherwise posted, but with everything else we spend... With all the money that we put towards everything else in this city, it's outside of our budget to put up a couple of speed signs? Okay, so I was uh, trying to be a little bit cocky and saying uh, everybody knows and acting like I'm a a bit of a know-it-all with the 50 kilometers. But (laughs) I will say I do plead – I use it against them. I do plead stupidity every time I pulled over for speeding. And I always say I can't remember the last time I saw a speed sign. I honestly thought on this residential road it was 100. (laughs) 100? I just, I made the assumption. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, uh, it's like in the winter when the lines disappear, so do the rules. Uh, hey, let's go to the phones. Uh, hi, Rob. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good, my friend. How are you? Not too bad. Say, I just traveled that road 82nd uh, this morning on my way to uh, an MRI appointment, and between 91st and 99th, there is no speed limit sign saying it's 50. And I thought a couple of years ago the city was supposed to post when there is going to be a speed trap like it's supposed to be a picture of a photo radar picture on a sign stating that there is photo radar ahead yeah is that not valid anymore no uh, i i don't think so i honestly don't know the answer to that i do remember that conversation though because i actually had a counselor on at the time we talked about that in fact i think it might have even been the mayor um And since you've identified the roads, I'll I'll identify them for everybody. Uh, Ben Henderson is most concerned about two spots where motorists have been getting tickets and community members continue to complain about speeding. Uh, They are White Avenue between 91st and 99th Street and 101st Avenue between 50 and 84th Streets. But again, you said, as you just said, Rob, there's no speed limit sign there. But the city, the department responsible for those signs is saying they don't need to put one there because you as a motorist are supposed to know in the absence of a speed limit sign, the speed limit is 50. So did you know that? that, That's pleading ignorance because you know what? There was a there was a uh, photo radar there and he was in a blue truck with a cab on the back of the truck and he wasn't clearly marked. But I, I just know from traveling the streets all the time that they're there, like, religiously. Yeah. But I have to say, that's pleading ignorance by the city. And I, I really don't agree with it because, to me, that's just saying, you know what? It's a cash cow. We are getting a lot of revenue from that one particular spot. And, yeah, we're not going to let motorists, uh, motorists know what the speed limit is. I think that's wrong. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I mean, I know what the law is, and but to me... I tend to agree with you. If if it were a city street that didn't get a whole lot of photo radar tickets 
uh, I would yeah. say, yeah, okay, so it doesn't matter. But if, if you know statistically through the photoradar program that everybody or a lot of people are speeding on this strip, you would think that one of the easiest ways to prevent that would be to put up a sign with the speed limit. Yeah. And uh, you know what? That that 82nd Avenue, 91st, 92nd, yeah, to see, I've, I've known that for years, and I've traveled that road numerous times in my job, but that the city is purposely targeting that area because they know that's a really, really busy routeway. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, thanks for the phone call. Yep. Appreciate it. Del, yep. what's on? Oh, hang on a second. I just conferenced those guys instead. This happens every time. Hello? Yep, sorry, Del. Hang on a second. Oh, I lost Del. Boyd, what's on your mind? Oh, just get back to the White Avenue deal there. Yeah. It's, it is funny. Yet, and they're talking the same uh, routes there. And um, going westbound on White, they have one sign. It, it's a 60-kilometer zone from 50th Street to 86th. And at one point, they've got one sign that says 50, 50 head. And that's it. There's no other ones posted. But yeah. they, each way every morning, they've got them <laughs> up and down, wherever. I mean, high fidelity <laughs> accident areas and that. That's not one that I see. I travel every day. But they uh, seem to have all the uh, traps out. As far as signage, if you look on the... Um, on the other side of the road, in the uh, service road, they've put up uh, four or forty kilometer an hour zones. That's part of the King Edward or Richie or whatever yep. King Edward. They've got enough money to put that up. But again, it is. I guess you learn about it. But I mean, the the, the change from a sixty to a fifty and up and down in the same stretch. It's could be confusing to people that aren't uh, used to the route and stuff. And but they, yeah, they pretty high concentrate of yeah. radar. And do you know what, Boyd? It's hard not to be a skeptical because uh, one of the things that the department has said is what they are looking at rather than the speed limit signs is what they call driver feedback signs. Yeah. So those are those signs that tell you what your speed is. Yeah. And that they say they've been very helpful in reducing people's speed and I don't doubt that for a second, but if you don't know what the speed limit is, it doesn't mean much to be told you're going over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, safety obviously issue. I mean, yeah. but again, you look at uh, Dave's Wall, too, is coming off the James McDonald, if you're uh, familiar with the south side, to yeah. be coming up uh, up the Skona Hill. You know, you're you're on 60 on the James McDonald and 50 and widen the Skona Hill, which, yeah, they said. But again, planted there all the time. <laughs> again, high accident area. No, I mean, it's not. You're behind the bush. And, and again, I drove that, drove that route for many years, and and high traffic, you know, accidents seen very few and far between going up a hill at 50 kilometers, and they widen it out, too. And I know there were some pedestrian issues at the top of that Skona Hill, but, yeah. you know, realistically, I'm going to have to go with, it's a money grab. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to think, think that way, Boyd. Thanks a lot. Yeah, oh, I just did it again. Hang on a second. Watch this. I'm going to hang up on Boyd. Dell, i got to tell you. Every time I try and conference two callers at the same time, I have two guests on the line, something like that, I can never do it. But when I'm here alone, just trying to answer phone calls, I do it every time. I, I ended up hanging up on you, Dell. I apologize. You wanted to talk about PhotoRadar. Okay. First, you're asking about the warning signs. Yeah. Yes, they actually are supposed to have those up. But the city's response was, we have it posted at the entrance to the city. So once you've seen that <laughs> sign, you've been warned. <laughs> But they still have to have it up for any red light intersection that is a photo radar light. They have to have the sign up before you get to the light. They are there for those. Hmm. 
Well, now, that's good to know. Yeah, now you, 50, yeah go ahead. 50 zone on 82nd Ave. You're going to love this because I drive down there every day. Back in the spring, they put up a notice. Speed limit being changed to 50 because it was 60 up to 99th Street. That's right, yeah. They changed it. They put it down to 50. Brand new speed signs, 50, 50, 50. Then they set up photo radar down at the Humpties, right just before the bridge entrance on each side. Yeah. They started tagging people. Then they took the 50 signs down. Oh. So if you left the city for a year and came back, you would assume it's 60 right up to 99th Street. Well, sure. Why would they take the signs down? Hey? Why would they take the signs down? Because if you see a sign that says it's 50, then you would slow down. But if the sign's not there and you think it's still 60, <laughs> yeah. you get ticketed. Uh, conspiracy theorist, Dell. Sorry. Uh, if they claim that photo radar is a safety issue, okay, why aren't those things like glowing with neon and flashing <laughs> lights? And You put that out on the road? You'll have cars slow down. I've you always said that. Every chance I get when I talk to a councillor or the mayor or anybody, uh, and I always uh, ask that same question, why don't you just put a uniform police car with its overhead lights on and a guy standing there with a ticket book? I mean, it's got, <laughs> you would think that would work. Dell, I appreciate the call. I've got to take a break. Thanks very much. Uh, now, listen, I've got lots of people on hold here. Tony, James, I've got, uh, I've got everybody. We'll take a quick break. I'll get to all your calls. You're listening to the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Well, as expected, the topic of photo radar really gets people fired up. Uh, I promised uh, these three I'd get to their calls, so let's go to this one. Hey, Tony. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good, my friend. With you? Good. I'll make it real quick. Sure. Last year, before you were sitting in that seat, yeah. Jalen and Mr. Schultz had the same discussion here. Yeah. And you know what the biggest complaint from uh, the people we're talking about? You know all the road construction we have all over the city? Yeah. Well, drivers were using the adjacent neighborhoods, like streets next to it, as racetracks to get to and where they're going. Right. That's where we should put it for the low-end spectrum of the uh, photo radar, too. You make a fortune out of there. Yeah. You know, that's not a bad suggestion. That's the argument that comes up uh routinely, right, is that are they picking the areas to put the photo radar where they believe uh, law enforcement will assist in in reducing accidents and pedestrian uh, collisions, or are they putting them where they believe they'll drive the most revenue? And as skeptics, we all think that they're putting them where they think they can get the most money. Yep, but the residents, what they were saying with the biggest concern was, you know, these streets that we're talking about, yep. like people were actually flying down them, and that's <sighs> where it's real dangerous. You know, you can forget about the money. It's the safety rate that's more important there, really. Well, yep. they, they have started to put those blockades and, you know, where you yep. have to drive around so only one car can get through in these neighborhoods. But I just keep thinking, every time I have to go down, like, what a pain in the butt for someone who actually lives on that street. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. It's slowing down people taking your, your nice little residential street and turning it to a racetrack, but now I'm not getting anywhere quick either. Yeah, that's true, because when construction's gone, they don't come back typically and take the speed bumps out of there or the, the cement uh, parkades. Hey, Tony, thanks. Appreciate the call. Uh, there, I just did it again. Gotta stop doing that. Gotta hang up first. Yes, you can do then it. take the call. James, what's on your mind? Okay, I'll, I'll try to make this quick. Two things. One is, I think that they shouldn't put up photo radar unless they can prove an accident was there in the last three years. So you think there should be some rule that governs where they go, and that's, of course, to avoid uh, just finding cash cow exactly. strips. Exactly. Now you're, now you're saying we're doing it where there, where there actually was an incident. Yep, that's fair. And I mean... Okay, the other, the yep, other thing no, is, 
is that it, at school zones, here's that shows that it's a cash cow. Because every school, one block before the school, it says 50 kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. The next block, it goes down to 30. Why do we have two signs? Why doesn't one say 30 up ahead? Yeah, that's that's If we were concerned about our kids at the school, we'd be doing that. Yeah, for sure. And thanks a lot for the call, James. And, you know, I talk about this every time. uh, And I said to you off air, I don't know what the speed limit is on Terwilliger. I know it involves a 50, a 60, a 70. Um, but I, I can never, and I drive it every day, um, and they do have signage, but even that, you're like, why are you changing the speed limit all over the place? Like, just put it at 60 or what, decide, and they are oftentimes are set up there, and particularly along 23rd as well. Oh, there, there are spots all over. And that's one thing. Like, you, you were calling Dell a conspiracy theorist with, <laughs> with taking signs down. I don't know anything about that. But what I will say is the city's not stupid. No. Like, with, with 82nd Ave, if they're going to make a profit because there's no street signs, they're, they're going to go there to make a profit. Yeah, no, of course. We're all, almost out of time. But, Dan, I'll let you have the final word. Okay. I've gotten speeding tickets, or I've gotten photo radar tickets on 82nd where it switches. I got one for 50 or 54 mm-hmm. and what went through my head at the time was okay I didn't know it changed I do I have been doing that road for two and a half years I've never seen a sign where it says it changes down to 50 well to be I honest with you until today I didn't know what it changed I don't get down there much but yeah I didn't know what it changed until Dell told me well that's just it like I, where I where between where I live and where I go to work I have to take that road every single day and that now that I'm I'm, I think I got three photo radars in the mail in the space of a week. Hmm. And then, well, and by the way, yeah, if we're trying to reduce speeding, three photo radar tickets in the space of a week, I think that kind of disproves the whole notion right there. Well, indeed it does. Dan, I apologize. I'm out of time, but I do appreciate the phone call. He's absolutely right, though. Three in a row. Uh, okay, I'll slow down now, but can you give me a break on the first two?